emergency pod welcome to hell um it's eminem we are back with mental health hour we've been on a little bit of a mental health journey together um most recently we talked about made in america well north america before that we talked about cerebral we talked about the uh, further commoditization of mental health today ooh, we're doing a little bit more in the same vein but we're talking about something a little bit different we're talking about mental health in the context of mass shootings mass killings gun violence and everything that kind of is embroiled within that arena and this episode is brought to you by Beiji, our commander our lord and savior going to take us through a little shallow dive. We're not doing a deep dive, folks. Yeah. Not a deep dive today. Maybe uh, just a little, you know, dipping a toe in the pond. We're going to talk. We're gonna... That's right. Just a little speculation, a little conversation. Um, and before I go off into a tangent of my own, like I normally do, I'm just going to hand it off. Beiji, how you doing? First of all, doing okay? I'm great. Me? How are y'all? Missed y'all. Chilling, chilling, soaking up the Portland weather coming into my own here, um, coming out of my shell and I've been doing just fine or whatever the lyric is. Oh, it shows your pores. You can tell they're open. Absolutely. I know my skin is kind of radiant. I won't lie. Um, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Do you see how long my hair? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. You're ready I've for changed. a bun. I have changed. So, uh, if you don't like it, um, freaking kiss my fucking butt. Um, oh yeah. You definitely look like you're about to hike a uh, Smith rock on the weekend. Hitting up Mount Adams. I might just move there. Be a little nomad up there. Um, Bay, let's get started, my friend. So what are we talking about today? So let, let me give a brief introduction on what this episode is not. Um, we're not going to go through a deep excavation of the link between mental health and capitalist society, let alone the stick, sick, deteriorating nature of our society and how everyone's mental health is probably just on the fucking hamster wheel getting fried. We're not doing a deep critical exegesis on any literature that's looking at any linkages between specific communities, specific variables, um, and identities and associating that with mental health, uh, illness, and the outcome of violence. And we're all not, also not doing an exhaustive analysis on mental health care in the United States, let alone talking about anything in regards to the outright deep analytical understanding of what the commodification of healthcare, let alone mental health care and wellness and well-being looks like here. And most importantly, for, you know, all the so-called Marxists in the past few months that have just been going on and on on tirades about big pharma and psychiatry and therapy, we're also not talking about that. So you can still listen if you're one of those and uh, you happen to be a follower. What we are are three people yelling about the violent conditions of our society and how the hypocritical positions that politicians are really taking on health and health care and doing so to preserve the current state of things to maintain the power that they hold and um, to continue to profit in various ways while still not losing anything and the world around them burns so specifically we're going to talk about this context of mental health really stemming from a lot of the violence that's been occurring this year. And in fact, the impetus for uh, this show 
was the shooting that occurred this past weekend in Allen, Texas. Now, Allen is a suburb in North Dallas. If anyone has paid attention, just in a cursory manner to what the makeup of Allen looks like, it is really one of these suburban enclaves that are very multicultural. Um, as a country has gone through a lot of dynamic demographic changes and people used to think of um, a lot of inner cities and the large cities and those various connecting um, communities that are still considered within that type of large municipality as being the home of, you know, multicultural um, life. What you're also seeing are these demographic shifts to the suburbs of large cities, especially large metropolitans that are vastly connected. So that makes sense that Dallas, the DFW, Dallas, Fort Worth and Arlington has areas that have large uh, multicultural communities. Um, oftentimes the makeup is varied, um, you know, culturally mixed, but you will find one group that is kind of predominant. So in Dallas, I mean, in Allen, particularly you have a large Asian community that's out there. And of course it's Texas. So you have, you know, Mexicanos, Mexican Americans, Latinos, Hispanics, whatever you want to identify. Your Latin nexus, even though I hate that fucking oh, term. No. Um, I'm sorry. Okay. Well, the hip thing is now Latine. Oh, that's e. right. What? So, yeah. Yeah. Because like actual, you know, Spanish speakers were like, "This is stupid." Yeah. <laughs> they actually be pronounced. <laughs> so, Interesting. So I've not heard recently. Latine. Yeah, with an e. Oh, okay. All right. If I'm looking to virtue signal at a local pop-up or a, a DJ hip spinning spot, I'll be sure to throw that one in there. Thank you very much. <laughs> this has been your NPR corner. <laughs> NPR <laughs> so this past Saturday, Saturday afternoon at a prime outlets, which in Texas, uh, we've got a lot of outlet malls. I know they're all over, so I'm not trying to explain fucking outlet malls to everyone like y'all don't know them. But there's this way in which people think they're um, these cheap shopping centers of yore, you know, from the 1980s where people would go and get discount gear. And a lot of these places are just part of suburban life now, right? They yeah. uh, generally progressed into being parts of the actual community infrastructure in these type of places. So people go on the weekend and shop, whatever you do, your normal capitalist nine to five, make a living and go shop for clothes at fucking H&M and that type of thing. Well, on Saturday, you had 33-year-old Mauricio Garcia open fire at an outlet mall where eight people were killed and seven were wounded on roughly four minutes. At the same time, there was an officer who was not actually there but heard the call about the shooting and was able to arrive and shoots a shooter, shooter dies. So in total, you have um, nine people that have been killed, seven wounded, and just another typical day in America with mass carnage that has unfolded. Um, the actual racial makeup of this, uh, there was a Korean American family that sadly, threw, I remember, if I remember correctly, the mom, the father and a daughter were killed. A son survived. There was yeah, six, six year old son, right? That was yeah. the only survivor. Yeah. There's an Indian national. There was a second grade Hispanic girl. Um, police officer, like, and we're not getting into the details of this. We're just trying to paint a picture of how, as we're talking about the people who have suffered violence are specifically this large multicultural swath that you see in America, making up, you know, the general melting pot fabric 
uh, no rhyme or reason. Violence just occurs on a daily basis. And of course, as the episode gets on, we're going to nail that down to actually understanding that in a materialistic sense condition around the history, especially the contemporary history that we've gone through. But for the time being, as everything is reactionary, right? We're all responding to this in a very visceral manner and responding to these things daily. Then we're going to talk about it as it presented itself. Um, of course, everyone's upset. It seems as if every day there's a mass shooting that's occurring, but what you're really hearing about is afterwards. And there are two camps that we're really going to talk about. And of course, that's going to be devolved into two main primary political parties that we see, the Republican and Democratic response. Um, and we're going to kind of nitpick that here for a sec. The anger that spurred this episode is, of course, uh, the scapegoat, the whipping boy that has come across that all of us have seen. And that is the idea that mental health is behind this. Mental illness caused this. It is the lack of mental health uh, care that is the blanket that this nests upon. Um, mental illness is rampant in our society. It is the mentally ill that we need to get to first and treat. Um, and that overall in healthcare, it is all like boiled down and singled down to an outbreak of mental health and said that unintelligently, like just throw out mental health to an ABC reporter and it's, oh yes, 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 you know, that type of thing. So it's the, it's the common sense aspect of it, right? The, yeah. if I may, the, the dogmatic image of thought, well, violence, it's just the way it is. These presuppositions we have about our current society and our place in history, uh, not in a, in not being placed in its proper context, but just accepting these presuppositions as fact or as common sense. This is just the way it is. Everybody knows there's going to be violence. What can we do about it? Uh, but pray or, you know, ask for some kind of intervention from the very people who have no benefit from doing anything about it. Right. And that's the, maybe the most sickening thing is the resignation. I feel like almost just we can't do anything um, from bad actors who know they can do something and regular people like us who feel like we can't do anything, even though we know what must be done. It's a very like Victorian notion of crime. Like, oh, they did that because they're crazy. Like they have a brain disease, yeah. which makes them violent rather than like, I mean, sometimes it's like if people believe certain ideologies or like certain ways of seeing the world then like, yeah, why wouldn't this become like the next rational thing of like killing people as if that's not like the society that we live in? No, he must have a crime note in his brain that must be excised yeah. through enough mental health apps. But maybe if he did do mindfulness, we wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. He needs a crimeectomy, you know, yeah. that it's very simple. Just take the crime out of his brain and, um, it's everything will be better. Or maybe he didn't try enough headspace. He should have done the premium. Yeah, he should have, before he went into, you know, that uh, outlet store, maybe he should have done some deep breathing in the car. And then perhaps he would have drove to Starbucks and got a little fun drink and then went home. That was the problem. What I'm hearing is not a refutation, but an acceptance of contemporary phrenology and nativism. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, phrenology is real and it's coming back. <laughs> 
Exactly. Let's all measure our skulls now. Yeah. Friendship ended with DSM five. Yeah. My yep. new best Patreon friend content only. We're all, all three hosts are getting their skulls measured next time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and for the top tier, <laughs> we will record the whole fucking thing and watch at your leisure. If you pay me five thousand dollars, I'll do phrenology. I'll do it. Yeah. Well, for the right price, any kind of race science, I'm down for. For the right price. Or maybe we're going to make woke phrenology. It's not based on race. Damn. Ooh. Our next guest will be Charles Murray, uh, author of The Bell Curve. <laughs> we're going to measure his skull. Yeah. Charlie, great to have you. Let's talk business. Yeah. Try this headband on for me for a sec. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you know, there's an overt sense of powerlessness in our society. And at the same time, that's mixed with all the the trappings and fashions of political advocacy work and whatever that actually means. I mean, to be honest, if you're in the streets, that's advocacy, right? Like that type of thing where it just feels like there is no general organizational consensus for what is to be done. What is to be done is just to be powerless and scream into the void. Um, and because that is kind of the general public dynamic, that feel, that doesn't mean that's actually how it is. But that type of escapist feel where it's just like, oh, shit, in here, everyone talk about like when they're interviewed. Well, of course, I'm kind of scared to go to Walmart. I'm kind of scared to go to Home Depot. I don't want to go to church. What people are telling you is they understand in this very intuitive way that the violence that occurs occurs in public. And of course, you might have liberals or academic liberals do some deep dive into, well, this is occurring in public congregations. Um, areas that make people feel safe and like a community. And maybe that's truly there. Um, but on a case-by-case -case basis, uh, or it's truly there on a case-by-case -case basis. But what you're really seeing is the larger political project is this is born also out of an ideology. And we're not just going to talk about like an ideology of hatred or fascism. What we're here to do is also talk about the contemporary way politicians of the capitalist variety, both Democrats and Republicans, play into this notion of creating an ideology that continues to watch a society devolve into the current hellscape that it is. So on the Republican side, somewhere in, let's say, the early aughts, which is a word I fucking hate, the 2010s, the aughts, just kind of a weird thing, but I guess it's some weird makeup, right? But sometime, let's say 2011 to 2013, Republicans started having enough nonprofit executives and uh, policy analysts and stuff in their office. And we're talking to enough healthcare executives. So they got browbeat enough to start talking about mental health. It is also no coincidence that at the same time in the larger mass media public, people are talking about our returning veterans. Uh, you know, from Iraq and Afghanistan and how their mental health is just fractured by the things that they had to do, or uh, I'm sorry, the things that they saw. Um, so mental health becomes this very in vogue thing uh, to relate to the armed services and your armed forces and to really care for those that are coming back just absolutely maimed from absolutely no reason, right? As this occurs, and unfolds in various state legislatures attempt to, you know, wrestle with their own ways to increase mental health funding and stigmatization, that type of thing. It also becomes a political football for Republicans to trot out there as the country, you know, slowly dissolves into a more fat, outright fascist uh, homegrown element where violence occurs daily and people are dying in mass, 
you know, in common occurrence. And every time a camera is in front of them or they're interviewed, you know, on a Sunday morning talk show, the first thing they talk about is not addressing anything in a material or concrete way. It is to simply push all those things aside and to bring up the topic of mental health. That mental health is uh, the primary reason these things are happening and that mental health needs to be the primary outlet for us looking to solve this problem. Now, on the liberal side, you're also going to have people talk about it's a way to uh, deflect um, any you know organizational capacity on Republicans' part to legislate on gun control, gun reform, uh, those type of things. And honestly, I really don't want to get into that. We're not here to get into that type of rhetoric where it sounds like we are approving of something, although I think it'd be common sense to say that, you know, sharper gun laws and all those things need to be there. But what this is really getting at is also the hypocritical way liberals don't do anything and allow this to be like the cyclical fashion in which when you have power like Joe Biden did for two years and you could have done any of these meaningful things, you didn't. And what you find yourself doing is, uh, you know, various representatives, wherever these acts occur, either you know, meet the grieving parents, the grieving family members, or they're out in the streets with the youth uh, who are, you know, shouting for gun reform and some sort of uh, advocacy towards those ends. And all they're doing is looking to bludgeon Republicans over the head to gain a conscience, even though they have power. Yeah, what <clears throat> I think liberals love the position that they're in because it allows them to do what they do best, which is to assign themselves the moral superiority, the moral good, and point away from them toward the evil, right? Those evil Republicans, they won't let us do anything about it. Even though when it comes time where liberals have, I say quote unquote power, um, but when they're in power in terms of the uh, House of Representatives or the Senate or the presidency, the executive branch, uh, they still don't do anything. Uh, even when they have all three, like, Let's say, let's take uh, Obama 08, uh, for example. They had all three, uh, uh, all three sectors, right? Uh, and they still didn't do anything about it. Um, they had almost complete control with Biden when he first came in, didn't do anything about it. Uh, because for, for liberals, um, I can't remember who's, I think it was Matt Christmas who said this actually, and he's right. Um, conservatives are the party of resentment whereas liberals are the party of guilt. And what liberals are best at is taking their moral superiority, the moral good, and deflecting their guilt onto something else, right? Um, they love the position they're in because they don't have to do anything. The Republicans don't care that they don't have to do anything. Their priority is, I mean, just like the Democrats, but more overtly, let's say, the Republicans' priority is to their donors. And it's more out in the open. They are funded by the NRA. They're funded by various, like you mentioned, uh, nonprofits and various other corporations that want to see the status quo continue. That is their priority, that nothing will change. But guess what? The Democrats are the same exact way, maybe a little bit more covertly, except when Joe Biden says nothing will fundamentally change if you elect me president. Also, um, just on the Republican side, like for all the fucking talks they do about mental health, 
Uh, how long was the Uvalde shooting? <laughs> how long ago was that? Mm. And has uh, they just remind me? Um, did the Texas House and Senate was it Republican back then when y'all weren't fen- funding mental health? Or oh yeah, it's okay. it's been very dominated by Republicans in both the House and the Senate across uh, the entire upper administration of you know uh, Texas politics, Lieutenant Governor. Attorney General, Governor, obviously. In fact, I have a video of us uh, we're going to watch here of the governor's response on a Fox Sunday show and kind of pick that apart in just a sec. Um, but so, yeah. for all the fucking jacking off they do about like wounded veterans and poor babies with mental health problems or whatever, like they don't do shit. Like nobody does anything. Yeah. And that's because really the they, thing. Like, they lean on that presupposition, that common sense. Violence is just the way it is. Uh, mental health is a problem that we, it's so unfortunate. You know, every every successful ideology has a very convenient scapegoat or very convenient like misdirection uh, strategy. And that's really what theirs is when it comes to this. Like you're saying, like, well, we could talk about how, you know, um, patriarchy and masculinity has led to certain behaviors in, you know, fascist and neo-fascist and conservative circles. We could talk about how just the mere fact of how easy it is to get a gun in the United States legally and illegally, right? We could talk about that. We could talk about the significant alienation, not aside from mental health, alienation that occurs under like capitalist production, capitalist society, but what's the one thing we can't really do anything about mental health. Perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Oh my God. If only we could solve the mental health crisis that we presuppose that we can't do anything about. It's just so sad, but this is what it is, folks. It's just, it's in, it's, it's written in, into our genes, mental health and violence. And we wish we could do something, but we just can't do it. So I hope you pray harder with me. That's really the strategy. And my favorite thing about this, and I say that in like the funny, ironic, I hate it way, is the idea that it is evident to anyone that's a prudent observer that the party that actually hates health in general is the Republican Party. And that's not to say the Democrats don't hate it. They do in their own liberal way. But the Republican Party is completely adverse to the idea of health care if it's not the way we think of it as a truly commodified, you know, business form where only those that can pay for it, uh, receive it. Yeah. Market um, commodity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in, in its most commoditized understanding, that is the healthcare that they want. But the one thing that, you know, I think libs really get off on is this idea that they're smarter than Republicans. Republicans are just these fucking dolts from like the corn eating places in the country. Um, they do nothing but fucking eat mashed potatoes and cornbread and then vote for people like Donald Trump, even though he has no connection to their actual lives and the way like they create livelihoods and, you know, their culture, that type of thing. And that's not true at all. Um, Republicans themselves as a political party are very savvy political operators. And for me, one of the things I think of when I see them doing this is that in the, the uniformity across all media where you know this violence happens daily and daily republicans are at the forefront you know with their faces in front of cameras performing the gambit of bringing up mental health immediately and on the opposite end you've got the liberals that are associating themselves with sloganeering chants 
uh, now is the time, when is the time, enough is enough, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And it creates this opportunity for Republicans to not have to face any true type of political confrontation or agitation, right? There's no actual meaningful way in which they're being confronted. So they get to sit there, go on media, say these type of things, and continue to legislate the way they choose, whether that is to do absolutely nothing, which is oftentimes the case, um, or if that's to give really weak need uh, responses through more often than not state legislative processes, which I will talk about a little bit later and how actual mental health care that is attempted to be provided uh, in that very uh, American way where it's not connected to anything that is truly meaningful in the larger healthcare sense gets also whittled down through state legislative processes. Um, and this is what they want, to have to do nothing or to have things stripped to their bare bones. And at the same time, if anything gets passed, you know, that's been whittled down to the fucking uh, fish skeleton from a fucking Sylvester cartoon, Libs also will parade that skeleton with glee, like, look at what we got done, you know, yeah. uh, in Congress last year or whatever. It's what Joseph Biden does. Like, in fact, that brings me to a good point. Let's read Joseph's statement after this past shooting. Let's do it. So you made a statement. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we have, a, you know, someone that works in his office made a statement. Statement from President, President Joe Biden on the shooting in Allen, Texas. Eight Americans, including children, were killed yesterday in the latest act of gun violence to devastate our nation. Jill and I are praying for the families and for others critically injured, and we are grateful to the first responders who acted quickly and courageously to save lives. Federal, state, and local law enforcement are working closely together to investigate this attack, and I have directed federal agencies to provide all needed support. Yesterday, an assailant in tactical gear armed with an AR-15-style assault weapon gunned down innocent people in a shopping mall, and not for the first time. Such an attack is too shocking to be so familiar, and yet American communities have suffered roughly 200 mass shootings already this year, according to leading counts. More than 14,000 of our fellow citizens have lost their lives, Credible estimates show that the leading cause of death for American kids is gun violence. And this is where, of course, you got to toot your own horn and say what you've done. Since I signed the bipartisan Safer Communities Act into law and took two dozen executive actions to stem the tide of gun violence, we have made some progress. States are banning assault weapons, expanding red flag laws, and more. But it's not enough. We need more action faster to save lives. Too many families have empty chairs at their dinner tables. Republican members of Congress cannot continue to meet this epidemic with a shrug. Tweeted thoughts and prayers are not enough. Once again, I ask Congress to send me a bill banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, enacting universal background checks, requiring safe storage, ending immunity for gun manufacturers. I will sign it immediately. We need nothing less than to keep our streets safe. I can't really? stand this hokey down home bullshit from Biden. I like I I it turns my fucking stomach every time I hear too many families with empty chairs at the dinner table. Uh, we uh, too many families at church looking across the pew and noticing missing chill. Shut the fuck up, dude. My bowl of porridge is going cold because my brother <laughs> got shot at school. God, it's sickening. I I hate it when they like give these Biden statements that were clearly not written by him. Like mm. I want Biden to come out just fucking straight off the dome. No speechwriter. Yeah. <laughs> well, folks, no uh, Nemenda, yeah, no Adderall. Uh, shooting, Get him out uh, there. Shooting this weekend, and I was so 
so so jack uh so what huh so how y'all doing today like that would be if biden went off the top oh yeah like this is a moment where our country needs like a lot some laughter right laughter is the best medicine maybe if we let <laughs> sleepy joe out there there'd be fewer mass shootings and Back like i'm sorry but like Scranton. he's the fucking president and he's like Maybe if somebody sent me some bills to sign, I would sign them for you. <laughs> like, please, please send me some bills. I can sign them. I can make a difference. Please. Like, where the fuck is the party discipline? Like, the Republicans would, they all line up. They're all saying the same shit. They're all united in doing nothing. But the Democrats are like, well, if somebody had a good idea, we could put it into practice. <laughs> I'm sure some smart observer would be like, well, this is a condition, learn helplessness. And you're like, no, it's not like this is a willful choice. Like, oh, yeah, this is also I'm... a political party that has no understanding of power and they don't wield it. And I would actually say that one of the reasons they don't wield power is because they're beholden to capital as yeah. capitalist light. This is what they try to do uh, when weak need reforms uh, in the cultural sphere and claim those as major victories while the country continues to snowball into this overt fascist direction. Um, and that direction itself is born out of capitalist like uh, structure disintegrating before our eyes. I mean, this is something we've been talking about since literally the first episode of Eminem, which is the strategy that the Democrats take is the complete like aesthetic aspect of politics is check out what this looks like. Check out these, uh, this huge reform that we did, which basically did nothing, but at least we can talk about it. We can talk about how we did this thing. Even don't pay attention to the fact that it's not actually changing anything. I mean, they, Joe Biden in this speech that, you know, some 21 year old intern probably wrote for him. Um, he talks about all the progress they've made with various whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm sorry, like 2023, how many mass shootings have already occurred in 2023? Um, I don't remember the exact number. It's 200 something and it's outpacing every year prior, I'm pretty sure. So whatever bullshit he's on, I think he's, he had, again, I think he thinks he's in the 1970s somehow. Uh, and he forgot like what's actually happening in in the present time because these mass shootings, mass killings, gun violence in a general sense are only worsening. So I don't know what the fuck he's talking about, actually. Um, but again, if they can make it look good, make it seem like progress is made, at least we're, quote, doing something, then get off my fucking back. It's the Republicans' problem, not mine. That's really the strategy, is check out how this looks and leave me alone when you realize what it's actually not doing. Democrats have been quiet quitting for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> they fucking transformed the society into the quiet quitters. And now they're complaining about it. God damn. No, it's, it's just, I, I, I can't stand to hear this stuff anymore. And you know, you, you almost for your own sanity, you, you, I feel bad saying it, but like you, you kind of have to not tune it out, but like, I, I can't like keep up with all of the mass shootings that occur. It's kind of impossible. And you, you're basically, your meter is going to be on zero all the time. If you're constantly keeping up, let alone like just news in a general sense and all the bad things that happen all the time, but especially like these mass shootings and how can you focus your time on it all the time without just like losing it? It's like losing your sanity. 
and and feeling that that black pill basically that like nihilistic uh push of like god we just can't fucking do anything does, does anything we do really matter or is anything can we actually do anything um we have to fight against that of course the revolutionary optimism but god it really makes it difficult to uh when you're hearing every single day almost hey do you hear about that shooting in texas hey do you hear about that shooting in california hey do you hear about that shooting wherever god it's it's exhausting i gotta say it's truly exhausting um it's Somehow we normalize it, but it's totally exhausting. Yeah. And I think that itself is like the psychological salve that we all use, you know, that sense of ambiguity or ambivalence towards it because it's, it's tiresome. And that doesn't mean like it's tiresome when you don't care about someone else's suffering. Right. It is tiresome to live in a country where suffering, suffering is the norm. Yes. And the only way to escape it is to literally just keep chugging ahead. Um, and that is also the political project that both parties maintain. I would say that the bromides, you know, the simplistic bromides that they both give are not just part of their political orientation. They are part of their party discipline as capitalist protectors. Um, and you can get into all the specifics. And I know when we post notes, my notes have far more detail than what we kind of discuss here, at least for today's episode. But you can get into the specifics about this particular shooter and uh, his ethnic makeup and how he was also a supporter of, you know, white supremacist ideology, literally had it tattooed on him, uh, his Internet history, like so many of these uh, shooters, uh, it shows up there. Um, the various connections to all these isms that we always talk about racism the misogyny uh you name it it's always there part and parcel and one of the ways we focus on that is an understanding of theory and history and so i think it's very in vogue for people to be on instagram or twitter and to come across quotes without ever having to read it. But sometimes you come across enough quotes for some people and it hits home. And that's why we talk, talk about like uh, Ame Césaire's uh, quote about how fascism is just colonialism returning to its imperial home. And so much of what we're seeing, this um, the degrading conditions of capitalist life here. And at the same time, the cultural apparatus, right? Base superstructure, all that type of shit and the way it uh, promotes various encampments of thought as we degrade as a society in a material sense and we also form communities that are outright connected uh to ways we've been aggrieved and more often than not that means uh communities that felt they were once protected and the way they are being aggrieved as there is a certain loss in material life well then they also realize there's a loss of life based on their identity and the way some of them claim they might not even be from that identity, and yet that's not the way identity works. So you have people of, you know, I mean, it's black nationalists, and I don't mean like the actual black, I mean like the black nationalists in the sense of supporting white supremacy, uh, the way people are completely ignorant to the idea that uh, Latinos, whether they're Mexican or American or whatever, can also be white supremacist supporters and be like, bitch, have you seen the state of Florida? I was just about to say, yeah. exactly. Like Florida you, is a case study in this. Like, do we also know in like South America and Latin America, they have their own homegrown like fascist movements and stuff. 
like far removed from the fascism of Hitler and Mussolini. Like these type of things are here, they're present. That's why we try to understand economic conditions and attach it to history. Um, and not just, by the way, not just like in, you know, Latin America, South America, I mean, the Middle East, like I know people growing up in the Arab community who are white fucking racist, who say the most outrageous bullshit uh, in, in a bid to appear to conform to American standards, I suppose, wanting to, to what assimilate. That's the word I was trying to think of trying to do their best to assimilate and show other white people, look, I'm not like, uh, you know, Osama bin Laden. I'm not like fucking Gaddafi. I'm not like these killers. I'm just like you. And what is the subtext of that? I'm white, just like you. Um, you you see it in all kinds of communities. So this, uh, you're exactly right. Like it doesn't matter if these people are actually white or not. It's what what are they trying to achieve? What community are they trying to be a part of? In terms of are they trying to shield themselves from certain uh, societal or cultural violence violence against themselves? I, I think it's like a particular strategy uh, to shield themselves from scrutiny that becomes a like a irreversible pathology and then like this sense right and i think like the obsession on like the individual person's like race or identity like and i think we see it more when it's not like a cis white man who shoots up a place yeah because that mm -hmm. tends to be so much of the majority but it's mm -hmm. like that kind of is like irrelevant to the discussion. Like, yes, maybe there's like individual motivations for like why this particular person shot up this place, but it's like, look at the fucking country that we live in. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're kind of like missing the forest for the trees yeah. or the, the other way around. Yeah. No. And I touched on, and you know, the notes that we have laying this uh, discussion, but it's this idea that in general, they're the historical foundations that make up our national fabric in society. And so, you know, the first group that's protected are white male property owners um, and the way that moves from there, the aggrieved senses of privilege. Um, and I think when people look at these issues individually and on this case by case basis, you really kind of want to boil stuff down to and these are people that are racist. Uh, these are people that have, you know, are xenophobic. These are people that are misogynist, transphobes, et cetera. And I'm like, these are all of them, whether they committed it or not, this is not happening, you know, in a siloed manner. Mm -hmm. One particular shooter was obviously motivated by Asian hate and that Asian hate was spurred on by the media that they consumed and all these other things. But all these still, the way this country is shaped is has always built on this sense of anti-communism even when it doesn't have to say it. It's always been built on this foundation of capitalism, which means economic dominance and supremacy. So we're talking about the way in which um, that economic conditions have been destroyed over the past 40 years, which we often look at as the neoliberal area um, and how imperialism, not just you know at the periphery, but how it operates here centrally and whittles out the structure to where just that walking skeleton, you know, at fucking uh, spirit Halloween, um, that type of shit. And at the same time, it also pertains to the history of a settler nation that has, you know, an illegitimate foundation. So those type of foundations themselves are all central and core to understanding 
the current context. You talk about that on TV and you're going to get run out of CNN or wherever. No one's going to have that conversation. We want to know, well, this shooter like hated women. Oh, this shooter, obviously the shooter from Saturday, when you read anything about his background history and how he researched this place, how he had lived there for several years and uh, the makeup of Asian Americans that now make up that large community, how they were most certainly targeted. But it's the way this targeting occurs constantly. It is constantly baked into this. And what ends up happening is liberals or liberal commentators that opine, you know, like in the Times, anywhere else you might find them, might want to talk about these things like very overtly, singularly, or touch them in that very Hillary Clinton-esque way of intersectionality without attaching it to the larger like American project of what this nation is. Um, and I think that's where, when we start talking about it, we touch on a little bit. We don't have fucking eight hours to give a fucking lesson, and none of us are qualified to do that hilariously, although we like to think so. But it's just this general idea that there's an understanding that the connection to health and the way it is talked about in this sense is so minuscule, is so infinitesimally small, and yet that is what is put forward. Oftentimes, in this sense, we're talking about with one particular party really foot on the gas pedal, putting that in full view, and another party responding to it in such a weak and hampered manner. And yet, nothing ever gets done because that is the political project at hand. Um, it, it benefits both to get nothing done, pretty much. There's the strategy for the Republicans and Democrats, but like you started off by saying, status quo is the goal. Nothing, nobody wants to actually change anything. I got a clip queued up for us, a couple clips. Uh, the first is going to be of Greg Abbott on a Fox Sunday news show uh, immediately this past Sunday talking about this. Another clip will be, I think there might be two, that kind of talk about the legislative process that occurs once mental health actually gets some focus and uh, political representatives, this is at the state level, attempt to do something. And this is kind of the end of what we'll talk about. We'll probably, you know, take about 30 minutes for us to voice all our hatred towards what we're about to hear. Okay, so we have Governor Abbott discusses Allen Premium Outlet shooting changes state is looking to make. Welcome back to Fox News Sunday. We'll get to the border in just a minute, but we want to start with that tragic shooting. Well, Shannon, obviously this is just devastating. Uh, Texans are hurting today. And uh, the people who are hurting the most, obviously, uh, are the families uh, of the victims, families who've lost a loved one, uh, families who have a loved one who is injured. Uh, and our main priority right now is uh, to help and support uh, those families and the Allen community. And I'll be going up to Allen uh, later today to uh, begin the process. Of well, thank God. And, and healing. But I got to tell you that there are questions that are lingering that the families want answers to. And that is, why did this happen? Why did the government do this? Uh, how did this happen? Uh, and I know that those families uh, need an answer as quickly as possible. And then the last thing I'll tell you, and, and I just want to reiterate my gratitude and the gratitude of all Texans uh, for the swift response of that police officer. He had just a single police officer who had to confront uh, that dangerous gunman uh, and did the right thing. Uh, by uh, taking swift action to eliminate the gunman. And we are uh, great for uh, that officer's heroism. 
Absolutely, truly a hero, the very definition. Um, as happens with these shootings, it almost immediately turns to the political conversation about gun reforms. One state senator um, pointing the finger. Oh, God forbid. Yeah, oh, how annoying. When there's a mass shooter, oh, we just got to talk about guns all the time. Fuck me, right? So yeah, annoying. Guns don't, don't, guns don't kill people. Blood loss and, like, organ damage. <laughs> so people, not enough people are acknowledging this. It's exactly. about doctors. In Texas, saying there are loose and dangerous gun laws. I want to put up uh, a poll that we just had on possible gun reforms here in the U.S. This is just out from Fox News. When you ask people what they would favor, background checks for guns, enforcing existing gun laws, legal age to 21, requiring mental health checks, flagging people for danger to self, all of those score at more than 80 percent. Um, are there things that you would consider in Texas or that you think Congress should consider at a federal level along those lines? Well, on the federal level, as you know, some laws were passed last year to begin to address this. Uh, at the state level, listen, this is something that we've been grappling with uh, over the past year. We've been praying oh, for the past year. Yeah, I hate it when they're grappling. It sucks so bad when you have to grapple. It's it's truly... How long do they have no fucking grappling? When was Columbine? Right. Liter literally, yeah, over 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, God, I've been grappling and grappling and sidling and pulling and pushing and tiptoeing. And my God, we're all sick of it, aren't we? Yeah. Wrestling, nipple twisting. <laughs> Titty twistering, <laughs> fucking hair pulling, uh, mouth spitting. Uh, we are sick of it, folks. Um, for the past year, blah, 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 fuck you. All right. Uh, and there are some potential uh, easy solutions, such as uh, passing laws that we're working on right now to uh, get guns out of the hands of dangerous criminals and to increase penalties uh, for criminals who possess guns. Uh, but, uh, Shannon, we need to, to recognize a reality. What we've seen across the United States over the past year or two, uh, and that is a, an increased number of shootings uh, in both uh, red states and blue states. Uh, Shannon, oh shootings in states with easy gun laws as well as states with very strict gun laws. I think that the state in which the largest number of victims uh, have occurred this year is in California. Yes, have very yes he said it. People died. Uh, and so one thing that we can observe uh, very easily, uh, and that is there has been a dramatic increase. Those fucking tofu loving, <laughs> fucking board short wearing, fucking kombucha guzzling liberals. This is what happens when you eat uni. <laughs> you eat California Pizza Kitchen. Thank your God. This is what happens, folks. I mean, but like when you look at it on a whole, like California has like pretty low rates of gun death. Like, <laughs> so I don't know that it entirely tracks it. Like, gun laws don't correlate at all to gun deaths it's just that like mass shootings are still relatively rare events even though we get more than one a day also california has the largest population doesn't it in the country yeah that also <laughs> just raw numbers again yeah. just like no context at all but you know convenient argumentation thank you yeah. Greg also, <laughs> like Very it's cool. a numbers game too because the actual stats from this year have california uh, and Texas lead the way in mass shootings. But California has had 40 killed and 56 injured. But Texas has only had 29 people killed. But wait, they had 61 injured. So really, who wins that argument? Oh, well, well. Well, also, it's like when they say, like, strict gun laws, it's like in Massachusetts, like, you have to, like, go through the police department and then you have a bunch of paperwork to fill out and it takes, like, a couple weeks. Yeah. 
So like, that's a strict state. Right. But like in Texas, you can not... just go and buy them for free. Right. right. I mean, there's like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like just walk into your local HEB and just ask for one and they hand them out to you. Yeah. yeah. You can ask for a Hello Kitty gun, but like the bar <laughs> is not exactly high for even the strict states. No. All right. Let's uh, let's continue. Increase in the amount of anger and violence uh, that's taking place in America. And what Texas is doing uh, in a big time way, uh, we are working to address uh, that anger and violence by going to its root cause, uh, which is no. addressing uh, the mental health problems behind it. No, oh, you just oh. literally restated what you just said. How is the root cause of anger and uh, mental anguish, mental illness? That's not the root cause at all. What the fuck? Literally just restating of- it in a different way. <laughs> Root cause of anger is our feelings. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my god. Oh and we, we all make fun of that like um Miss America contestant who's like such as um <laughs> but it's like yeah. politicians do all the same shit. Oh, oh my god. It's it's literally it's uh uh semantic uh wordplay. It's just like language games. That is how you become a successful politician is you learn how to do language games and get off of whatever interview you're doing as quickly as possible. Like you're Selena Meyer. Oh, I have a call from the president of Egypt, so I got to go. Sorry. (laughs) We know that Texas had been lagging in addressing mental health for years, and that's why over the past three sessions, uh, we've added almost $25 billion to address mental health. We're in the waning days of a session right now where we will be adding even more uh, funding, about $3 billion, uh, to address mental health needs in the state of Texas, especially in rural Texas and especially for children in schools. What a fucking waste. That could have went to the war in Ukraine. <laughs> what the fuck? They need mental health there. <laughs> yeah. What? The Ukrainians don't got no fucking mental health problems? Son of a bitch. Greg Abbott, he's in love with the fucking... Oh, my... I can't stand Wait, him. so, like, what is Texas funding? Because, like... Right, that, that was my exact like... question. <laughs> so, I actually have that, and I was going to get to that a little bit later, but... Okay, okay. Let's, let's finish this, and then we can discuss. Okay. Uh, and uh, people want a quick solution. The long-term solution here uh, is to address the mental health issue. And one, one last thing about this, Shannon, and that is, it truly seems today that... America is more divided than we've been. That damn division. Stunning analysis. Never uh, heard that before. Got to reach across the aisle. As Americans, and come together as one big family. Why didn't I fucking and think of that? In that regard, find ways to reduce violence in our country. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly divisions. That's a, that's a very Eddie. tantric prescription of uh, trying to solve this, you know, coming together. America, any fucking time someone with money tells you we got to be like more like a family run run away you know, your boss. <laughs> okay i love it that was great stun absolutely stunning analysis as usual um the problem is we're too divided as a country no one has ever said this before so what we have to do is uh come together and uh pray together and you know, all right, I'm trying to take screen sharing off and now I feel like a boomer because I don't know how to do it. There were a couple of things I wanted to single out in that video, you know, maybe even a few that technically break down. The first was the way he, in the first minute, there was the putting forth of this cop taking so much initiative and placing him as a hero. 
Um, so the hero worship that they do first. And that's not to say that this cop didn't do something heroic or whatever, but we're talking about this in a sense of how it comes across, how this is a tactic that you use, that they use uh, in regards to these incidents. You first always have to thank law enforcement. Like any Valdi before everyone found out just how fucking abysmally imbecilic that law enforcement was, the first thing you're doing is we thank our first responders. So it's very trite. It comes across as this thing that they have to do. And they do it with such a sincere face and a voice of such, you know, um, astute and honorary inflection where it's like, they just pause, you know, like that preacher that just knows how to sell whatever his sermon is to the crowd. That's the one thing Republicans are really good at. They're really good at selling like the heroic valor of cops uh, to a Fox reporter. They should say EMTs because they are truly heroes. Oh, yeah, EMTs like firefighters and, fire and EMTs and yeah. paramedics, of course. But cops, you know, yeah, in this particular cops. instance, like obviously not bashing on a guy that shoots someone that's shooting up people. But at the same time, it's just like getting at uh, the hilariousness that this is what is always put forward by them. Also, he's the one dude who has actually done this versus like the squads of fucking cops who wait at like school shootings and be mm -hmm. like, uh, <laughs> oh, I hope someone goes in there soon. I'm scared. You know, yeah, I'm scared. I was threatened for my life. Yeah. No, but it's just, con it's like what I say about, um, ideology, right? It's confirming the conclusion you've already come to. So of course, when Greg Abbott goes on Fox news and starts talking about our brave, first responders and police officers, of course, they're going to eat that shit up. That's really all they want to hear is, yeah. is the stuff they already believe, you know, and the rest of it doesn't matter that much. I just want to hear the stuff that makes them feel good. And they already believe, uh, yeah. whether that's from their own, uh, unconscious or from other shit that they hear from other people that they respect or, or like, uh, in their, uh, dare I say community of conservatives, cause there is no community. It's just a bunch of people who are grifting and figuring out ways to one up each other. The other thing that was hilarious to me is the idea that we talk about anger as being the root cause and all this and that, but they conjure it up like alchemy. You know, they talk about like what caused this societal anger, madness. It's it's this deep rooted sickness. Oh, my God. You know, you can feel it. Um, Satan's got his tentacles into us as a nation. <laughs> Just imagining like if the Democrats were truly the opposite of Republicans and every time there was a mass shooting, they went on TV and just like talk shit on cops the whole time. <laughs> these dumbass oh, cowards <laughs> well we didn't have a bunch of fucking loser scared ass punk ass bitches for cops maybe we get some stuff done for god's sake and that's what i want to hear on whatever MSNBC. That's right. <laughs> just explicitly like blaming cops yeah <laughs> why did eight people already die bitch yeah <laughs> well you that bad at your fucking job maybe we should defund your asses damn that would be oh, nice. That will never happen. No. You know, I will say if uh, if if fascism is mental illness, you know, the, I'm I'm fine with that. Well, if we're just gonna say that, if we're gonna go the route of mental illness is the problem, and we need to work on mental illness, and we look at the vast majority of what has motivated these mass shootings, which, as you kind of went through earlier, is white supremacy. Uh, the return of fascist values as empire turns inward upon itself, 
um, then yes, let's eradicate mental illness by eradicating fascism. Yes, let's do it. Then I'm on board with mental health being being the problem. Okay, otherwise I have no interest. But if that is the case, sure, let's tackle mental health by tackling uh, the fascist underpinning of these movements. The other thing I thought about was the way around 2014, 2015, you really started seeing, especially if you were um, within mental health care itself as a worker, um, and that means an actual provider, caregiver, or someone working on the policy side of mental health issues, were these destigmatization campaigns, especially in red states, right? That was like the whole bread and butter. We can talk to Republicans and get them to understand mental health by destigmatizing it. And more men will are more apt, uh, you know, to seek help and therapy of some sort. And at the same time, every time these idiots get on TV, they are literally stigmatizing mental health by saying yes. mental health is the reason <laughs> that people are fucking shooting up all these places. And these are the people who also sell destigmatizing campaigns and programs, you know. Yeah, because they don't fucking do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and then lastly, towards the clip, it was the way he ended, right? Texas, in a big way, because we're big Texans, we're, we're handling mental health. You know, that type of hilarious uh, wrestling and grappling with such an opaque problem that rest at the human core and at the same time we're going to throw funding at it and we're going to eradicate it um, well, that's I what mean, texas is doing unlike those ungodly godless liberals out in california that's right i was just going to mention like the godless liberals in new york like their solution to you know quote mental illness problem in the city was just like involuntarily hospitalize any homeless person that looks <laughs> mentally yeah. ill Literally doing the Foucault thing, like let's yeah. just move them somewhere else. <laughs> like some, Eric Adams read Foucault. I was like, shit, that's a good idea. No, this God. dude's onto something. Damn, Man, I come from that background. Discipline and punish, like <laughs> exactly. Yep. It's like, yeah, what if hospitals were prisons? <laughs> I, had, I was starting to write like a stronger critique of like the liberal failings, and I didn't get into it. But Eric Adams was a big one, and then I also took um, the idea that we just talked about with California. If California is also uh, prone to so much uh, outburst of violence, and so is Texas. Isn't that more emblematic of something rotten at the core of our society and the nation as a whole? And if you understand that, then, then aren't we going to get to the economic underpinnings of how our society is created, and then the fracturing within actual psyches in regards to the things we already talk about, um, the identification of things, uh, uh, which therefore is identity politics, and Republicans would just deny it. Yep. Um, but it gets to all those issues. Okay, this is from, let's see, three years ago. Um, and the info on this is, okay, a bill that would establish the Texas Mental Health Care Consortium was killed on a technicality, what a surprise, in the Texas House on Tuesday night. This is from three years ago. Let's listen it. Right before COVID. Key deadline in the Texas legislature by midnight tonight. All bills not already approved in some form by both chambers will die. And in a surprising turn of events, one of the most important bills for lawmakers this session just failed on a technicality. KXA and political reporter Phil Crazen live at the state capitol with what happened there. Phil? 
Well, Robert, after the Santa Fe High School shooting, lawmakers vowed to do something to address mental health in schools. And Senate Bill 10 was one of the largest bills to try and tackle that problem. But that bill failed tonight. The bill would have created a mental health consortium that includes the Dell Medical School here in Austin. Texas Health Universities would act as regional hubs for student mental health. So training pediatricians and school staff and implementing telemedicine services throughout the region. It was one of Governor Greg Abbott's priorities items. It was overwhelmingly supported by both Democrats and Republicans in the legislature, but Bedford Representative Jonathan Stickland, a Republican, oppo uh, opposed the bill. And according to the House rules, lawmakers must follow a strict process while passing a bill. Stickland found a small mistake that scuttled the entire thing. The author of the bill, Senator Jane Nelson, spoke to us earlier this session about the importance of the idea. And the governor set up task forces and right away there was a clamor for hardening our schools putting metal detectors in, and that's fine but that doesn't address the root problem and that is there are some children who need to be identified and helped as potential serious risks to themselves and others doesn't this kind of remind you of the, speaking of health communism, the biocertification regime, the identification of pathology and how we're going, you know, what we're going to do with these people, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also it's like, it, it kind of like puts the liability back on the doctor, right? Like, and kind of forces you to like practice CYA medicine where the vast, vast majority of the time, like these people are not going to be violent. If any, if they are going to be violent, most of it's going to be directed towards self-harm, if anything else. Mm -hmm. Like the people at most danger is themselves, like if you have a serious mental illness. And just to think about like other, you know, major shooters, like I think like, who was it? Like Adam Lanza, like lots of people like come into contact with the mental health system for lots of other different reasons. And we're just not that good at risk assessment as psychiatrists. Like, yes, like fundamental health, that's great because like that's a need that needs to be addressed like within this horrible capitalist society. But like if you're doing it with the payoff that like there's going to be fewer school shootings, like that is going to be a really long payoff down the line that like maybe in the future it'll decrease by some small percentage. Yeah, the way it's talked about, it comes across as if they're trying to deputize practitioners, uh, you know, um, to be the people that essentially sniff this out. You yeah. are those crime sniffing dogs uh, in the cartoons. You're going to start barking up the tree like, oh, this kid's going to kill people like in two weeks mm -hmm. at his high school. Like that's the jokingly way of thinking about it. I mean, it, strengthen, it strengthens the authors like of health communism. It strengthens their argument of basically like physicians as cops, right? Or like, yeah, the warden or like the the centuries of the state, right? To yeah, sniff this stuff out and make sure like, and it's not to say that that's bad or anything like that, but, um, but again, like what uh, Sigmund was saying to put the onus on the practitioner, right? It's if they don't catch it, it's their fault now. And we, and then we can further offload any blame or any, uh, any wrongdoing of our own, right? Uh, if, if this stuff continues to happen, well, shit, we did something about it, right? So it can't be our fault. Now it's the teacher's fault because they didn't catch it soon enough. It's the physician's fault because they didn't address it in the proper way. All of this is to offload, um, blame from themselves. If they're going to address it in any sense, it's to offload blame, not to address the problem itself. 
but it also like presupposes that like this is even possible yeah which, yeah like i is... think is pretty controversial yeah yeah and that was i stopped the video because essentially it's over the last part they just kind of discussed that they reached out to offices to get their comment um that representative himself is a notorious fucking asshole one of the biggest assholes and that's saying something in this state but i mean he is incredibly repugnant and just a thorn in everyone's side he uh, came about to his office, of course, rode the Tea Party wave in like the early 2010s. Um, he was always looking to uh, put his thumb into legislation from the aspect of economic reasoning. If something, you know, even if a bill, a piece of legislation was good, he was certainly looking to tear it down if it was not fiscally responsible. That type of fiscal conservative that came about, you know, do y'all remember like when the debt ceiling arguments, the initial ones oh of our God. like collegiate youth were out there of Ted Cruz and stuff. Um, so there were bills like that. But apart from him, the thing I, I brought it up for is to actually kind of understand what mental health looks like when it goes through a legislative process and how it gets whittled down like we talked about. So you can talk to a governor of any state, red, blue, whatever, but we'll use uh, obviously a Republican, you know, um, example here. And it's this idea that you can gain their ear and gain their favor for a specific policy cause. And that policy cause um, can be well, just, you know, as we think about it, obviously having better mental health care and making mental health accessible to everyone um is a good thing but still you you're essentially trapping yourself within the liberal box of you know commodified health and yes. being able to afford it pay for it etc so you're reducing yourself to that field which is often what happens if you work in policy um especially if you're not leading an actual organization and even if you're leading an organization it's probably a very incredibly small nonprofit whose voice is not that meaningful when it comes to the big capitalist uh lobbyists that are there for um you know the hospital associations the hospitals themselves etc but you can take time and like in this state it took quite a while uh through the early 2000s and obviously tons of tragedy and immiseration and stuff for mental health care to be a priority also and people are making that connection and a lot of that speaks to the capitalist condition of our society and has, has gone through this historical trajectory for the past uh two decades and you get to this point where you start creating these larger bills and these bills themselves uh, go into the legislative process and they go through uh, both houses and they go through their committees and their stuff gets tacked on, added on in amendments, stuff that has no business being associated with those bills. Other people are looking to, you know, uh, attach their fancy projects in some meaningful way that have nothing to do with mental health. Bills become robust. Someone like this individual representative is certainly looking for that because it's a perfect reason to, well, this doesn't pass. Initially, we said this bill was only going to cover this aspect of mental health, so I can't allow it. That's not fiscally responsible to uh, the citizens of the county I represent. And that's what happens. So a lot of people also, in order to make a political compromise, create a bill that's large in fashion, and then it gets very streamlined. Everything bottlenecks and gets squeezed down into that, you know, corset and only certain aspects of that bill pass through the other side. And that's what happens here. And the liberal structuring of this process, and we say that because we operate under a liberal um, you know, political process, not as an idea of like a Democrat, Republican 
understanding, but an understanding of liberal society, the liberal society that we live in is orchestrated in a manner for legislation to be done in this fashion. It, in doing so, it fosters uh, an idea of compromise. And if you therefore understand what this country is beholden to, that means it is a capitalist process that looks to whittle away things that are not important um, that, to the private economy, essentially. So that logic is just infected in every nook and cranny in which bills are crafted. So here we go and we take an entire legislative session, which in this state only happens every two years. And you go through this incredibly extensive, rigorous uh, six month process, because that's pretty much unless a special session is called. That's the only time a session is in. And people are there literally from, you know, six in the morning till five at night debating stuff, especially as you get to the end when this bill is killed. Um, and you take all these people who have worked out a bill, dealt with compromise, et cetera. And as we talked about the things that they were establishing, we ourselves could critique. Some of them seem good, but all of them, like the way we're talking about kind of deputize uh, physicians, um, the way the Senator who was sponsored the bill talked about how like, well, some people wanted, uh, metal detectors, and we can do that, this general acceptance of militarizing <laughs> our schools and this type of thing, right? We could really get into the like gritty details of the bill itself and how even if we're broadly saying it's a good thing for in some way enacting larger services and access to care, ultimately it is a capitalist structured piece of legislation that doesn't provide full health care, doesn't connect mental health to the wider range of complete total care of the individual, is so fragmented and probably so riddled with uh, add-ons like grants uh, to different you know providers to different institutions and stuff that like will just eat away at the funding of that bill relatively soon. We're still thinking of this as a success, as a win, yeah. and yet you get right to the twelfth hour, and a certain representative, congressman, et cetera, and while this example happened in the state of Texas, it happens anywhere else, finds one tiny technicality, one tiny detail that renders the whole process moot. And that is the idea of healthcare in this country. And that and is how many it, fucking people does he even represent at this point? Oh, he's no longer uh, a representative. I think he didn't run in 2019. I know he was. Or, I mean, like at, at that part of the process, you oh. know, like just his like county. Oh, exactly. And I mean, so much of, you know, what is the line that you go to? I'm representing citizens uh, that elected me. And oftentimes that's not what they're doing. They're representing special interests, their own political interests, uh, their own yeah. ideological interests. That's what politics is. And then if there's a certain wind that will affect your county in a meaningful way, well, then you get to go and parade that about more than likely what you're doing is trying to obstruct legislation and say you are protecting your citizens from this legislation. Um, that is politics in this country. But specifically, here we are, um, you know, discussing it in the broader context of mental health and violence. And that is the framework that these things uh, fall under. This idea that there is some large metaphysical notion of evil, that evil incarnate is at the core of what is causing uh, these horrible outbursts of violence in our society. 
And we just have to be honest and say that up front. And maybe only Jesus can save us. But maybe also at the local level and maybe at the national level. But the national level, it's pretty rotten and evil because, you know, that's big politics. But at the state, we can do something for mental health. And what we described is the exact process that occurs. And that's why healthcare in this country looks the way it does. Um, it's a capitalist-oriented system. It feeds off of every ounce of division, um, of every minutia of individualized identity that it comes into contact with. And it doesn't serve the people. There's nothing democratic about it. And healthcare is not something meaningful. It's something that's talked about and paraded uh, for the optics, um, for the sounds, for the feelings. It is not something that is done in a meaningful manner. I mean, if they're going to actually talk about doing what their constituents want, I mean, th this is like a very common excuse, I guess, of, you know, I represent this many people in my county or in my district or in my state, whatever it is. Uh, my constituents, they want more information. They want this. They want that. I mean, fuck, if we go back to the first video that we played, obviously listeners couldn't see it, but they pulled up a list of approval for the, like within the public, a list of like uh, percentage approval for certain metrics, like universal background checks, uh, increased uh, funding for mental health, all these things. And almost every single one was like above 80% of, yes, the vast majority of people support these specific changes. Including viewers of fucking Fox News. Yes, including the very viewers that they're trying to propagandize against the things that they don't want. Um, if you're actually going to listen to your constituents, we would have we done something about this 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, so don't listen to people when they start pulling the bullshit like that. The compromise aspect, how we uh, platform this idea of compromise, how it's this liberal virtue of, look, reaching across the aisle and maybe doing things we don't want to do, but we got to get stuff done. Who is compromising here? The working class has no say in this compromise. The compromise is between capital heavy and diet capital. That's where the compromise uh, rests. So there is no actual compromise. There is only back and forth jousting between the left wing of capital and again dare i say the left wing of capital they're not they're even left wing the democrats but really it's just jousting between different management strategies for how do we administer capitalism that is all that's where the compromise rests so these people don't have your best interests at heart they don't care about you my constituents bullshit Again, goes back to the very first thing that Bay started with. The priority is to maintain the status quo. It is to not change a damn thing. That is where the priority rests. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say for this is, and move out broadly rather than the specific ways we've been talking about mental health and violence, it's why we reiterate the basic concepts uh, that are talked about when you start reading Marx and Lenin and this idea of um, labor power and the dictatorship of the proletariat mm -hmm. and how living under capitalism creates an immiserated society where mental health is a political football and a plaything of the capitalist elites that, you know, hold um, legislative positions and political power. 
it is part and parcel of the larger cultural apparatus that is dominated by these type of discussions and that forces you to feel like you have to invest the entirety of your energy and efforts into and when nothing good comes out of it you are exhausted and that's already saying something because the economic structure of our society leaves you exhausted as is if you were a laborer which most of us are and so therefore you look at the political process this thing that you're taught taught is supposed to be um a way for you to be democratically represented and for things to have like to go through because you know the us of a is a democratic nation that has fought against totalitarian societies left and right around the world and we're this bastion of freedom and democratic principles and all this bullshit and what it should do is expose you to that hypocritical nature just what, like the entire you know conversation centers on the hypocritical ways mental health is used um as a political talking point well it's the way our lives are used as a hypocritical political talking point the way the value is stripped from us the way that these individuals that hold political representation over us are galvanized by their ideology and it's an ideology strictly not sense of capitalism but of power and domination and our ideology should come from the same thing but it should come from that democratic sense of um you know collective ownership and that type of broad based understanding of collective representation in its truest form and therefore power and domination that arises from that well said um do we want to perhaps close with some thoughts nothing like detailed like policy proposals per se but like maybe we could close with like because people are probably at home listening and they're like well we're talking about the hypocrisy we're talking about the things that are not being done but could we just for a moment ponder what needs to be done perhaps what if we did live in a just society, let's say, or if we did have a communist party, like what perhaps they would be talking about as opposed to the bullshit that we hear from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party? Could we, could we maybe uh, do a couple thoughts on that? Or, or give our own reasons for why this is happening. And it's not to say that mental health is zero. It's not, we're not saying like we shouldn't pay attention to mental health. I don't, I don't want people to go like, I don't want that to be the takeaway of like, that's all bullshit. Um, we're thinking dialectically here. We're thinking, or, or differentially, like what are the multiple ways in which uh, we can understand this context, right? And mental health is is one among many, but what are the other aspects of why this happens? And like, what could we actually do? What would be on a communist party platform of what can we do about gun violence? What can we do about mass killings? Um, I don't know if you all have any thoughts to start. I, I could start, I suppose. Yep. The reasons for why this is happening to me, uh, I've done a post about this in the past. Um, so I'm just going to reiterate my post, which is what I'm really good at. But really, like, I think the primary issue we're facing in the 21st century is, uh, is nihilism, is alienation. Like, they kind of go hand in hand, right? The, the loss of meaning in people's lives. Uh, the revaluation of values um, into cold hard cash. People unfortunately have 
clung on to this trad cath, like, you know, return to tradition bullshit kind of thing. Um, they get one part right, which is we are losing our traditional values. We are moving away from ways of coding our communities uh, so that people actually have bonds that aren't reliant on market exchanges or transactional natures in general. That part is true. We are losing those values. The answer is not to return to those values, right? What's in the past is in the past, and we learn from those things. We don't return to them necessarily. We learn from them and create the new, create the better. We reconstruct in the rubble of what became before, what came before, right? So the diagnosis of the loss of tradition and the loss of values is correct. Well, what we have to do is reevaluate re those values to something new, right? Uh, what capital does is reevaluate those values into money. Every value in prior societies and prior cultures is revalued into the dollar, into a quantitative measure. And that's no better. But I really think that is what this alienation we experience comes from, is that life is kind of meaningless when everything is put back onto how much, what is the price of this thing? How much does this cost? I can't do anything unless I can buy it, right? I mean, think about whatever city you live in, it doesn't really matter. How many things can you go and do for free? The library. The library, perhaps a park, if you're lucky. Like if you live in, I don't like know, Chicago has a good park system. Uh, maybe you're lucky in that you can like find a nice, fun thing to do for free. But most of the time, I'm sorry, you're not going to find it. Unless you're like walking around Walmart like I used to do in middle school. Uh, and <sighs> not actually buying anything. But you're just walking around there because there's nowhere else to go, right? Just loitering. Loitering yeah. in Walmart. That is what I used to do in high school. Or, or you go to the mall and like maybe walk around. Um, but that, but things like that, the, the fact that we live in a, in a historical context where you can't really do anything unless you're paying for it, that has become so ingrained in our way of life that it's extremely alienating you. Of course, we are losing the meaning of life. Of course, we have no values beyond what can this amount of money buy me. And that is causing like untold brain damage, right? And again, it's not to say that this is the only cause and we have to look at just this. It's one part. So the so capitalism as a decoding mechanism, right? The loss of these values. Um and the death of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but the death of God. This 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 rolls into it completely. Uh, what Nietzsche warned us a long time ago, which is when we when we kill God, what what comes next? Do we fall into meaningless hedonism? Do we fall into nothingness? Or do we create the new? That is the question. And what is communism besides creating the new? Creating the society we want to live in, right? That That is what I think ultimately we're trying to get at, is reevaluating values into what Bay was saying, collective uh, values, collective ownership, these kinds of things. Because you can't have true individuality without collective power. We all know that. Um, and what I kind of briefly mentioned before, um, 
you know, we hear this kind of old talking point, gun, uh, guns don't kill people, keep people kill people. Um, there's a kernel of truth to that, of course, but for, you know, when the right wingers say it, it's for the wrong reasons. Um, the sheer ease of obtaining a weapon in the United States, that is a, that is an actual concern. And it's not to say that we need gun control now and we need all these like really, uh, hard and fast measures uh, against people owning guns because, uh, I think we know that especially if we're talking about the uh, trans community at this point in time, trans people need to be arming themselves because they are facing the most violence at this point. Not that it's a, you know, a contest of who is facing the most violence, but at this point, people need to protect themselves. So it's not a matter of just, we got to get rid of guns because that is the guns are the issue. But there is something to be said about, again, the sheer ease of obtaining a firearm in the United States as opposed to other countries. And that's not, you know, the silver bullet, but again, just a part of a labyrinth of problems and reasons that we are facing what we're facing today. Those are like the main things that I think of. Yeah, I, I think there's, and, and I think you kind of covered like both nicely, right? Like the lack of like a meaningful sort of dignified life that we're always constantly advertised. I mean, we get like advertised this like very specific capitalist vision of it, but I think like the fact that we see everything that we can't have and everything that feels like increasingly further away from us is like, is making us crazy. Yeah. And I think for the vast majority of us, we experience it as like depression, anxiety, burnout, everybody's favorite word. Um, and then there's a couple of us among us that are going to just explode into these like spectacular acts of like random violence. And I don't think it's been a coincidence that it's been like primarily, you know, cis white men who experience this like longing for the future that they were always promised that they never received. Yes. But I think you're going to see it in like everybody. Um, and we can talk, I mean, and that we can't fucking get anywhere by just by not addressing just like basic human needs, like education, healthcare, housing, food, the right to just like fucking determine your own course of life without feeling like I have no prospects for companionship. I have no pros prospects for a job or like even a future that I can like see and imagine myself, imagine for myself. And the more people are going to be driven to like, weird conspiracy theories because it's at least like a narrative that i can like you know imagine and internalize rather than like all the same sort of bullshit that i that the liberals are selling you on msnbc it's like oh it's really hard it's all this like systemic stuff we'll never be able to explain no one really knows why it works this way but yeah, it it's just this has to. technocratic bullshit that we can't discern just you know overcome basically yeah yeah and I think like just the blanket calls for gun control are like understandable, but I think it's like really tone deaf, just like in light of all the violence that so many people are facing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also just like historically, we know how these are going to be enforced, right? Against like poor people, black and brown people with mass incarceration, not with like money to these communities that need them or like buyback programs or anything like that. Right. Um, one thing that I was just like thinking about is like, what if you just sued gun manufacturers every time someone died? <laughs> like what if there was like, whatever the actuarial price is on a life, what if like gun manufacturers had to pay that like every single time somebody died, regardless of like, if it was a mass shooting, 
or if it was a suicide or homicide, it would never obviously happen because we live in hell. But I, I think it's just like, it, I, I wonder like what more systemic ways to target capital and like people profiting off of this rather than turning to like individualistic solutions of like, how do we put more people in fucking gun prison? Yeah. I think the thing I'll say here is, and I'll take a broad view and then go narrow, and that's first the idea of all legislation that pertains to gun and um, gun ownership and reform in that sphere. Uh, there's, I'm sure, wonderful policy ideas out there that are viable and worth getting behind and supporting to some degree. I think the larger thing I would say is, since that's not my wheelhouse, even though you can read all the things that you read within the leftist media sphere on what's good and decent and what people should be looking at. It's also understanding the history, um, just like Sigmund just said. <clears throat> the state as it stands is a capitalist state and they have a monopoly on violence and that monopoly on violence is carried out through those that are able to hold weapons. And that means it is your law, um, therefore your peace officers and those in the military it is also why we make the connection to imperialism and the larger extent to, therefore, the imperial outlook that is colonial conquest. And by that, you'd say, well, that just sounds so foreign in 15, 1600s. And you'll say, well, let's look at the ballooning defense budget under Biden and let's look at what is going on currently in our uh, geospaces at this point in time. It's not just um, the confrontations with other nations who are attempting to assert their sovereignty and fight back against uh, U.S. hegemony and Western hegemony at that. But it is also the way in which a militarized outcrop that focuses on that sphere is also, therefore, a militarized society in the domestic sphere. Um, that is what capitalist production is. Um, that is the society that we live in. Um, to escape that, then, is to understand history, is to understand uh, the historical foundations that create our current conditions and therefore to uh, be solidified with an understanding uh, or galvanized, I should say, uh, against economic immiseration and the cultural immiseration that that comes from. And as proper students of history, that should be aligned with the liberatory projects of the people of this nation who have been first oppressed, uh, your indigenous communities who have expansive liberatory knowledge and projects going on, you should align with those. And that understanding, it is the understanding uh, that aligns with um, your enslaved people and everything that has come from that, that historical knowledge, understanding to that end. You know, we talk about if you find yourself on the left, and for us, we would rather say communist, um, to have be well read with pan African thoughts and Walter Rodney and those type of things. And just to be educated to a degree, that means being understanding. Um, your knowledge of your LGBTQ community. And what that gets to is the idea that there are liberatory projects from all people who have been oppressed in this nation. And that itself creates a beautiful social patchwork of fighting economic immiseration and the capitalist conditions that create difference and create um, the obfuscation of identity and the putting together or the pitting together of these identities in a capitalist manner that creates conflict, especially when that conflict is weaponized under a capitalist political system with two capitalist parties um, that are either overt in their outright, uh, you know, decrees of what they support, 
Um, the Republican Party is obviously drifting ever and further to the extremist side, which we understand as um, a fascist orientation. But the Democrats are the same way in their own regard. And both political parties have been carrying out that orientation across the global sphere. Um, so you could therefore say fascism, fascism has been going on in support uh, for decades, if not centuries, uh, from this country. That's the first thing, very broad. Uh, it just pertains to gaining a depth of historical knowledge and orienting yourself with people who are oppressed and understanding that's what it means to be a communist, uh, to be knowledgeable in your own way, to be humble in that knowledge and in that pursuit of knowledge, and to be humble and learning uh, from the guiding light that these communities show us. The way I'll narrow it down to is in specific sense of healthcare, um, as that is my wheelhouse. It is the idea of connecting economic immiseration to our physical immiseration from disability, debility, all those type of things, whether you're able to labor or not, um, understanding your productive value simply as a human and the labor power that you have just as a human being in connection with others. Um, and that should therefore galvanize you towards fighting for, as has become popular on the left and for us with our reading group, the term we associate with is health communism, but that is full, complete health care. And that is understanding the health and well-being of the individual extends to the health and well-being of every individual on the globe. Therefore, that means you have an understanding of health in an internationalist fashion. Uh, but you also understand um, what healthcare should look like here. Oftentimes, we boil that down to what we think is the most radical position. That's saying like, oh, a single payer healthcare system. <laughs> and we're not getting into the very technicalities of these things. And as great as those things are, that's not the ultimate end goal. The liberatory project of health is to understand health and its complete uh, complexity. That means the myriad fluidity of health, what that looks like for um, our trans comrades, for everyone that finds themselves in their health care aligned in that transitioning stage. And I don't mean that, as I just said to our trans comrades, but I mean that the way it transitions in our lives from the day we come out, technically to the day we're conceived, to the day we die. Um, how healthcare in its entirety should be taken care of us by the most well-practicing practitioners and caregivers who are knowledgeable and have gone through rigorous, um, you know, schooling and training and are paid for uh, that knowledge and that skill set. And well, who are and not are coerced taking, by capital, exactly. I should mention. And that your bodies are looked after uh, from birth till death and not an ounce of it is a struggle because living itself can be a struggle. Communism is achieved, illness still is around, you know, like we talked about. There are going to be mental health issues and stuff. We don't say these things as if, you know, um, that these things are solved, you know, once we win, once we go through the transition process to full communism, to once communism. We're not here for that type of idealistic utopian bullshit. We deal with a very real, concrete understanding that problems exist in emerge at all times. But for us, complete health care and the complete provision of health care at no exhaustive um, fee whatsoever is what our society should look like. And that is what we should be fighting for. All care for all people. I just had a really good idea. Oh, yeah. What is it? 
I'm pitching it to the Democrats. Um, what if with your gun screening process, uh, you do a positionality statement? So you're like, I am a white, queer, non-binary, middle-class um, food service worker who has diabetes. And then you get to like tally those up and be like, oh, you... So you have to promise not to kill like the minorities that are like powerless compared to you, but you can kill anyone like above that. <laughs> and then you just like tally that, you know, like so you can see in the state like who's armed and who's not and have people appropriately acknowledge their um, privilege in owning a gun. Their credentials. Uh, yeah. I like it. A privilege gamification of society. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> every gun check with a gun background check comes with a positionality statement it's a way that we can prevent punching down so yeah. that way the cis hats <laughs> yeah. the, the the male cis hats they can't do shit anymore that's a great yeah. idea you better be gay <laughs> you better be fucking gay i'm telling you what i'm watching I you i promise i suck dick don't shoot like <laughs> oh shit okay we're on to something here uh, i think we need to log <laughs> off and go deliberate in private um <laughs> damn i i'm mad i didn't think of it first but um you might be on something segment thank you for your input Bay, that you. was uh, extremely well said um and, I, I yeah yeah L line item for this budget for any state legislators thinking about it zero zip you just got buy-in right there That's... yeah <laughs> There you go. Sorry. Put me in power. I will get this done. My constituents are craving uh, privileged gamification, and they won't <laughs> stop talking about it at, at town hall. Okay. Uh well. Um, I guess that's a good place to leave it. We're in a good. We're in a good spot. Anything else you all want to mention before we hop off? No, I think that was. I think that was great. I think all of our emergency pods have been uh, some of our best. So maybe, maybe we, perhaps every podcast from here on out is going to be no more structure, no more thoughts. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, perhaps, um, we'll have to also deliberate this, uh, at a later time, but, um, I thank you. We thank you for joining us. This has been Eminem. Um, join us next time, whenever the fuck that is, because there's no structure and there is, uh, by the way, no more meaning in life. As we just said, um, we're going to think about new meanings in life and we will return when we come up with a few. Um, when are you done being busy as shit, Sigmund? Any, anytime soon? I'm, I'm a little sad for you. It seems like you're uh, really in the trenches. It's like fun busy. Um, so I'm done. I get back. I'm, I'm done with traveling end of May and then I move June 8th. Okay. So, I mean, even like at the end of May, it should be like less stupid. Are we all participating in, I've seen this online, I'm not coining this, woke slut summer? I, I hate to say that word. It's I, I hate this, that. No. It's a slur I don't use I'm anymore. I'm going to be a fucking nun. <laughs> I hate sex positivity. This is yeah. why. Sex positivity is the reason, actually, for uh, mass killings, as a matter of fact. We're, we didn't talk about that on the show, <laughs> yeah. but um, completely unexplored yeah. territory. Yes. Um, uh, no, this is my gay nun summer, so I don't know what y'all are up to. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're going to, I don't use that, the S slur, let's say, but uh, it's, you know, it's a part of a broader movement, so I figure it's fine. But we on Eminem not partaking in 
woke as slur summer we are partaking in gay nun and gay priest summer uh which gay priests well been around been around for maybe longer than we think we won't touch on that but um that is our new direction stay tuned for the return to tradition uh if i may for gay nun gay priest summer i want to thank you again for joining us on eminem and we will see you next time bye-bye Yeah.